Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Everyone, welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, editorial director, here with Mara Levinsky, senior editor. Hi, everyone. So, Mara, we've been talking about Beyond Salem for weeks, and it finally dropped on Peacock. So, let me begin by saying it was five episodes of fun. You can tell they had more money. The sets and the wardrobe and the production values prove that. And the story was an action adventure caper that felt for me, like the 80s all over again in the best way possible. Uh, It was so much fun seeing Eileen Davidson back as Kristen. I spoke to her about reprising the role and that of Sister Mary Mora. And she said she would be open to coming back, but has great respect for Stacey Haida, who currently plays the role. Um, But you know, since there are multiple roles that come with this character, like I imagine something could be worked out if ever needed. Um, Zach Tinker did a great job stepping in for Emmy winner Freddie Smith as Sonny. Greg Rickart plays an amazing Leo. I mean, you could just tell he relishes everything about the role. Uh, There was even a surprise appearance from real life duo Scott Bailey and Adrian France. I could go on, but bottom line is there's a lot of good stuff to say and I would recommend that everyone checks it out on Peacock. I I think that in putting the show together, uh, head writer Ron Carlovati and his team made really smart decisions about who to feature because it felt like such a stellar, multi-generational blend of favorites from different eras, and there really was something for everyone. And I gotta say, even if I wasn't a Days fan, I would have been motivated to tune in, because I am a huge fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, and having Lisa Rinna in a scene with Jackie Cox, a former contestant whose breakthrough moment on that show was a Lisa Rinna impersonation, that was a really fun wink and a nod. And I think the show had great humor, great style, and all around was just such a bonus for Days fans, and hopefully a huge hit for Peacock as well. It would be nothing but good for the genre if the numbers were strong enough that you know other streaming services jumped on this bandwagon. Oh, yeah. I mean, how great would it be to have a Y&R spinoff? You know, they could do Summer in Kyle in Italy. Right. They could do it with B&B with the Forrester Paris office, like House Thornden. But the ultimate for me would be any reboot of an old show, whether it's the ABC shows or Another World or Santa Barbara or, gosh, As the World Turns and Guiding Light. I mean, that would be incredible. Absolutely. Um, here's hoping. Uh, Now, in other day's news, Marcy Miller is heading back to our screens as Abigail. Uh, She's been on maternity leave after welcoming a daughter, Willet, in March, a pregnancy that she really kept under wraps. I mean, it wasn't even until the last couple of months when she was in that camel coat every day (laughs) and her stomach was so obviously bigger that it even indicated she was expecting. Uh, But Marcy explained to me that the actors share so much of themselves with fans, um, you know, and on social media, that this was something she wanted to keep private and her co-stars happily oblige. She also shared that someone found her registry online and that was kind of a bummer. But other than that, everything's great and she's really enjoying motherhood. Well, another return that we have some good information on in the new issue is Charles Shaughnessy's GH comeback. We call it a comeback because in 1984, he appeared for a week as Alistair Holly Scorpio's cousin, but of course he is now playing an entirely different character, Victor Cassidyne. I have to tell you, I was so excited to do this interview. I was a Shane Donovan super fan back in the day, and I've never spoken to Charles before, and he was truly just a dream to interview. He had the most specific and detailed memories of playing Alistair. Like, this is not meant as shade, 
but certainly it could have been just as plausible for him to have said, you know, it was so long ago, I don't remember, uh, which is a totally fair response, but it was just so fun and interesting to hear about his experience on the show uh, over 35 years ago versus now. And fun fact, when he uh, did a show on Broadway, he actually sublet the apartment that Finola Hughes, GH's Anna, was keeping at the time. I subsequently asked Finola about that and, uh, and about Charles just generally. And she said that he was someone she had been a huge fan of because she watched The Nanny and just absolutely loved him on it. And then she met him and even worked with him on an episode of CSI New York. And he was everything she could have ever hoped him to be. Just such a good guy and sweet and kind and funny and... I just love hearing that, and I love random crossover stories. Absolutely. I asked, I said to Charles, I said, is there like a secret society of British soap royalty that (laughs) we meet once a month, we have tea and crumpets? Um, But anyway, that isn't the only big GH story that we have in the issue, because on our cover is the bride and groom we never could have imagined a year ago, Carly and Jason, whose wedding day has finally arrived, and is going to be really and truly, I I think, very suspenseful and very full of surprises. Oh, how could it not be? I mean, this storyline has all of the soapy goodness you want. You have a presumed dead amnesiac, Sonny, who's falling for Nina. Jack's discovering the truth that he's alive and that Nina knew about it. Carly and Jason letting their long buried feelings resurface. And of course, the one question on everyone's mind, will Sonny crash the ceremony? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think we're gonna get that answer today, but we do have one of the key players in this tale as our guest. It's Laura Wright who got her soap start 30 years ago on Loving and has become one of the genre's most popular stars. So let's get her on the line and get the scoop about what's ahead. Hi, Laura. Hi there. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. We, we've been working for a long time to get you on the podcast, so we're happy. About really? It. It's the first I've heard. <laughs> you were like right at the top of the wish list. Yes. Um, well, you guys just should have sent me a text <laughs> because we would have had this set up a long time ago. Yeah, but, but you know, it's meant to be. That's right. That's right. Well, Let's start with you made your television debut remarkably 30 years ago when you were cast as Ali Rescott on Loving in 1991. So there's this story that you were discovered at your family's gas station, but that's a little more folkloric than fact. So tell us the real story of how you were quote unquote discovered. I was working at the time. I was managing a tanning salon at nighttime, working at my dad's gas station during the day. And I worked um, at another company called Jane's Information Group as a teleservice person on the phone. I had like four jobs. And, um, and then I would do local modeling things on the side. And this woman who had a talent agency in Washington, D.C. asked me to be put on videotape with like 20 other girls to audition for this role in a soap opera. And I was really busy. I think I had a date that night. I was like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> and she um, really talked me into it. And I auditioned on videotape. A week later, they called me in for a screen test. I had no idea what that was. Um, so I went and I auditioned, which is a, a crazy story in itself. I carried around a disposable camera taking pictures with everyone. <laughs> Even Susan Lucci, I stalked her down the hallways. Um, I was, because I was a fan. I watched Loving every day. And um, so I went to the audition, a screen test in New York City, took tons of pictures. I think uh, the audition itself was like the second on my list because I was so excited to meet like Lisa Paluzzo, you know, watching Ava every day, no, no, well back. Oh my God. She was from Maryland too. So I was going crazy. And, um, and when I left the audition, cause I had a girlfriend go with me, we took the train up from DC. I told her on the ride home, I really think I'm going to get this part. And she looked at me like, are you crazy? <laughs> You've never done anything like this in your life. And I said, no, I really think those people are going to be my friends. I really think, I think these people are going to be a part of my life. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get home. um, And that was, I think, a Tuesday. And Thursday, they called me. I was working at the gas station. And I was like, I don't know, sweeping the floor or stocking something. And And it was a convenience store gas station. And I was working there. And they called. And when I answered the phone, they asked to speak to Allie Rescott. And that was the name of the character. And I was like, what? And she's like, pack your bags right now. You have to be um, in New York by five o'clock tonight. You start work tomorrow morning. And um, not one picture on that camera roll turned out. The whole camera never, and I was like, that was amazing to me because it meant that I was going to see those people every day. I didn't need their pictures. 
And I, I got off the plane, had to go straight to Macy's or Saks, I can't remember, to meet Bob Anton, the costume designer who was designing Loving at the time. And I had to be fitted for my wardrobe that I had to start the next morning at 9 a.m. Oh my God. And I mean, I even, I had no idea. I'd never been to New York City. I can't believe my mother didn't come with me. <laughs> Not that she would have known what the hell she was doing either because she had never been away from where we lived. But um, I, had, I can't believe I got around. And here's another great story. My doorman was Nick Totoro. <laughs> no way. At the St. Moritz, which isn't there anymore. And ABC put everybody up at the St. Moritz when they would come in for screen tests or something. And so Nick Totoro was so kind. He was the doorman at the St. Moritz. And he said, I'll get your taxi. He totally took care of me. I was 20 years old. I had no idea. Never even been away from home. Never went to college. He made sure I got to, he told the taxi guy, get her to this address and <laughs> told me how to get home. And then like, that was in June, that fall, um, Nick, or I would say like S September, early September, Nick came into like a guest role on Loving. And I'm like, oh my God, hey, and talking to him. And we hung out in my dressing room, catching up. And he goes, well, I shot this really weird pilot. I'm not sure if it's going to get picked up or not. NYPD blue. And he's like, um, but it was kind of trippy and racy. I don't know if it's ready for te te television. And I'm like, oh, and then that year, if you remember, ABC always had the fall presentation parties. He was there because ABC, you know, picked up NYPD blue and changed his life. And he was my doorman who actually took care of me and made sure I didn't like die. <laughs> That's that really Isn't that amazing. Yes. And how great for him. I mean, he was like such a nice guy such a nice guy. So having been a fan of loving and then suddenly you're like inside the matrix, like hundred percent to fight through being starstruck by people. Like how did you carry on like a normal person and not a fan? <laughs> well, the first night after I worked, Rena Sofer called, um, she saw me wandering the hallways and she goes, do you have any, do you know where you are? Or what's happened to your life? And I'm like, no. And she goes, was there anyone you want to meet? And I was like, Haley from all my children. And she's like, Kelly Ripa. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so she calls Kelly and she's like, Hey, a fan got a job and she really, uh, let's take her out tonight, you know, or something. So we go to, I guess it's Mel's diner or some diner that was in this New York city. I thought it was like on 57th and 6th or some diner right there. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll never forget, they got like salads and water and I got a Coke and a cheeseburger and French fries. And they were like, she'll learn. <laughs> and boy, were they right. I gained like, you know, 50 pounds, I think immediately. And, um, and then that night we just hung out and went back to Rena's place and hung out and had a good time. And then, you know, Kelly and I ended up, li um, we were live. did we know then where I lived? No, I was still at the Sheffield. I mean, I was still was at the um, at the uh, St. Moritz, and she was at the Sheffield. So Kelly, you know, I dropped her off first in the car cab, and she told the cab driver, <laughs> "Make sure she gets to the Sheffield, or no, the uh, the same the St. Moritz." But it was crazy, and that was thirty years ago. My first night in New York City after work on that Friday night was with Kelly and Rena Sofer. That's <laughs> It's just amazing. <laughs> well, and I never had an animal that my parents really, um, that lived in our house. We had cats and dogs outside in a barn with horses. So when I, we went to Kelly's apartment to get her, her cat was walking around with like the cone because I guess it got a paw worked on. But I thought it was like a trick. And I'm like, why is she doing that to her cat? And I thought, of course, Haley would be so crazy like that. I mean, I was so <laughs> in a different headspace. And, um, and it changed quickly, <laughs> you know, because then I started going to events. Like Kelly started taking me, you know, to events or, or letting me know because I didn't really I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anyone. And she would call me and say, you know, this is an event happening and everyone from the shows are going. And I'm like, no. And she's like, I'll pick you up in a taxi. Be ready. And I'm like, OK. <laughs> so she um, and we would go out like shopping and I would try. I just couldn't believe how much things cost. And she was like, you remember when shoe boots were like a big thing? And she was like, you need a pair of these shoes. And I'm like, I'm not paying. She's like, you're paying. You're paying for these shoes. You're going to buy them. You're not going to go like, you know. and then the first time I had wine out of a cork was with Kelly. We were in a store and she's like, let's get wine. I'm like, okay. And I go, do you guys have any raspberry reuniti? And before I could get that out of my mouth, she pulls me away. She's like, there are only corks in this store. This is not screw top. 
know, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. And I remember this purse I bought with her that she was like, you have to get this, it's the best purse. And I'm like, it's a hundred dollars. Like, I was like, there's no way. Where's like, I was, where's the fashion bug? You know, I was like, <laughs> not gonna and, but I got it and I had it I think I had it forever this and it, it, I don't even think it would hold anything I was so like <laughs> why am I buying this little purse for her she's like because it's cute I'm like okay <laughs> so funny yeah so Kelly Kelly kind of taught taught me <laughs> how to live in New York oh my gosh I love it um, well obviously with the wardrobe upgrades and everything <laughs> life changed but can you put into words just how fast the rest of your life changed now that you're starring on a soap opera Oh, it was, it was, it was, you know, when I look back now, um, it was some rough times. I sat alone a lot in my apartment and, w and was sad a lot because I left this life that I knew. Um, and it's, and I guess that would have been like when anyone goes to college, right? Like when people move away from what they know and it's comfortable. Um, and even though you, life is amazing and it changed, I had no idea how to act. I mean, God bless Nada Rowan and Eric Woodall and Lisa Peluso that worked with me and taught me how to do what I do and that they kept me on the show is mind boggling. Um, but it really is because I had no training and no idea what I was doing. I mean, it's a couple plays in high school, but nothing compared to nothing on stage. I mean, on a set. So yeah, I went through the transition of like being alone a lot. What, what, what did that look like? Um, growing up in this world of everyone kind of like when I think back, we were all just trying to figure it out. Right. Even though someone was new, I, I was the newest person, but you know, Kelly came from a similar back background, which is why I think we were so, um, and still connect on a certain level there. And I just remember going to fan events and everyone checking everyone out and everyone trying to figure out everyone. And then you're trying to smile for the cameras and put on this air of like you knew what the hell you were doing but none of us really did and then you're trying to be real and have fun at the same time but what the hell is that when you're 20 years old and you know shoved in front of a camera and flashes and and stuff so i mean as wonderful as it was and it and it still is there is always that side to well who am i you know um if i'm not this um because you know daytime is constant it, it's not a play that has a beginning, middle and ending or a six week run or a three month run or even a year run. And, you know, movies, you know, three, six, nine months, but then you're on to the next thing. You know, I played Allie for seven years, Cassie for eight and now Carly for 16. So it's so constant that you're like, you, you know, you, you need these moments out in the woods of going, who, who really am I? you know, when I'm not spiraling and all, and playing tra dra drama and trauma. I mean, you, when you look at daytime characters that are on for a long time, they're, they're usually, you know, burying husbands, children, divorces. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff And that's happening. all before the opening credits of the day. 100%. And, <laughs> and, you know, we don't, um, we actually, you know, our body doesn't realize we're faking, right? Like we, we really live these emotions, whether it's Carly's world, not Laura's world. Um, I still have a lot of like, you know, there was a lot of coming down after the Friday break when Steve and I did six shows. It was a, I don't think I got out of bed and, or put on real clothes except to walk. As a matter of fact, the Saturday I got up to walk my dog, the next morning I, I hadn't washed my face. I had Carly makeup on. I don't know what the hell I put on to walk my dog. And there was another dog walking down the street and I'm walking Kimba and it looked just like Kimba, but the bigger version. And I'm like, oh, look. And the people looked at me seriously like I was homeless. They were like, uh-huh. And they were trying to get their dog away. And I'm like, wow. And then I walked in the house and I'm like, oh, I understand. I look, I looked like, um, like I had slept um, in my clothes and just crawled out of bed. And uh, I don't want not to insult the homeless. I don't want to insult the homeless people. I don't want to get in trouble for that. But um, anyway, you know what I mean? It was, uh, I was just exhausted and um, mentally drained. And so I think that's the difference is that, you know, um, trying to find some sense of groundedness in who you are is still a challenge after 30 years. I'm just more clear about it, but I certainly had no idea what that looked like at 20 and 21 and 22. So I'm, I'm sure it looks like it did at 20 and 21 and 22 <laughs> for any of us, right? Like, you know, yeah. thank God there were no cell phones. I say that all the time. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, thank God there were no, you know, thank God for disposable cameras that don't work. <laughs> Although, to your earlier point, you did have quite a bit of paparazzi following you. So we do have some very charming Laura Kelly Ripa photos from back in the day, yes. Laura James Patrick Stewart photos from back in oh, the day. Oh, yeah. It's pretty, pretty amazing that some of these people have also been in your life for 30 years. Oh yeah, like I, I mean, especially when you work on a show and like I worked with Cynthia Watros on my first day on Guiding Light was with her. And so I knew when she was coming on the set, it was like, oh, you know, it, there is this odd family, you know, it's just an odd family of people. And, and when they go, it used to be really odd for me that people leave and you just don't talk to them or see them. But then when they come back on another, like Paul Anthony Stewart, when he died as Casey, but came back as, what is, what's his name? Um, Danny, thank you. I was like, I, could, I just wanted to attack him. Like, oh my God, you're back. I love you, Mr. So much. And, and, but it was like, you know, going home. So that's what's so weird about the world of, the, the, the beautiful odd thing about daytime is that people come and go and it's kind of normal and okay. Right. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. So, um, in 1995, when Loving underwent the transition from Loving to the City and like all these people, speaking of people going, all these people that you had worked with um, kind of saw their characters killed off to pave the way for the people who did make the transition from Corinth to New York City to do so. What stands out to you about that era and also like your experience then on the city? Well, I think that time was uh, honestly, if I had, to, if I lived it now, I think I would feel it very differently because being older and um, you're more aware. I, you know, I was, I was um, very young and I was one they were keeping and I was getting married. I got married the weekend of the switch when loving ended and right before the city started, I got married that weekend. So I had a lot going on in my life. So I was not as emotionally affected as I would be now. And, um, I, I don't think I was, I, I just assumed that everyone was going to get amazing jobs. And I, I just thought I saw it very differently. And I was really overwhelmed with the fact that they were taking me. I, I didn't understand why I was going over to the city I, outside of Randy Mantu. That was the longest running character that was going, which I, I'm like, what? <laughs> um, so I, th there was a lot of guilt. And so, which is probably why I didn't know how to probably process that at the time. I didn't really get so emotional about it. And I was staying in the building and the crew was staying. So it was, it was the actors. Um, and a lot of them, except for Lisa Peluso, I really didn't work with very much besides Lisa and Nada. So, um, yeah, it was very, it was a very odd time. Um, but I did just assume everyone was going to just work. Like I, I just thought there's at that time still 11 shows, I think on the air. And um, everything was just going to be fine. And the transition was very um, different. You know, the shooting was very different. We went to all handheld cameras. Everyone was mic'd in their hair or on their body for everything. Um, that was the first time I ever worked when we shot by set instead of a show in order, which now all we do is by set. Mm -hmm. um, and... Another big thing was that ABC really started paying attention. You know, when you were the lowest rated soap, but you were trudging along and doing okay, you kind of had a really easy job on a half hour show. But when it became the city and ABC invested a lot of money and it was, everyone had an opinion, then all of a sudden they were cracking the whip and it came a very different uh, work environment. Um, one that's more normal, I, I think, to how Guiding Light and General Hospital are. But because, uh, you know, Loving was the little show that could that um, yeah, and we were always done by four o'clock at the latest every day. It, we had we played practical jokes and we did um, Secret Santa Christmases like we were like it was just so easy. And now if you tried to do that, we would be like, what? Who has time for this? You know, <laughs> but um, and uh, working out set uh, on outside in the city, I thought was wonderful. Um, I, you know, I thought it was a great experience. I thought it was a show before its time. I think it would probably work much better now. And I think it would work if you would have had it on, if you bumped all the shows up and put love, um, the city on in the after the late afternoon, you know, it wasn't really a 1230 in the afternoon vibey show. Um, but I thought it was great. You know, I was, it was really awesome to be a part of something that was different and, uh, they were trying something new, mm -hmm. you know, um, well, the city did last until March of 97, and then in August of that year, you made your Guiding Light debut as Cassie Lane. So how did that job come about? 
Well, um, I remember when the show, when the city was, we were canceled in November and we had till May of the following year, which is a long time to know that you, you know, are going to be without a job <laughs> coming up. Yeah. And so, um, I saw all the actors going on auditions and I'm like, Oh, no one's calling me. So I called my agents and they were like, you got to come in here. You've been doing daytime for so long. Like our primetime people don't know you. And so I booked a pilot. And I went to Vancouver and I shot it and they picked up Buffy the Vampire instead, which they should have. <laughs> and, um, and clearly it worked out for, for Buffy and Sarah Michelle Geller. And um, I came home and I told my agents, you know, I'd love to stay in daytime. I do it well. And I really like New York. We had a house in Pennsylvania. I was just married. And um, a week later, I had a uh, screen test offer from all my children and Guiding Light. And, um, I didn't want to do the whole bidding thing. Like I just said, what are the parts? And the role was all my children was a doctor and guiding light was the stripper from <laughs> with a heart of gold. And I was like, say no more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you know, guiding light was known and this is not to take away from any other shows, but guiding light was known to be an actor's show. Like it was like they scared me, you know, like those were the people, you know, world turns and guiding light. You were like, God, you really have to know what you're doing to work there. And it just seemed to have a different energy. And I wanted to experience that. You know, I've been, I wouldn't, wouldn't have even changed um, where I went to work if I stayed on all my children, which was amazing to even be offered a screen test, but I wanted a new experience and the character seemed so, so fun. And then to play Kim Zimmer's sister, who is just, I mean, a powerhouse of an actor and energy. And I mean, I, it terrified me and I had to go for it. And so, um, that's why I said, okay, let's, let's do this. So I was the only person screen testing. It was a very odd day. Um, that was when there was like, Annie or Reva went on trial for something with Annie or something. I can't remember the story, but Kim had to work all day long. And I jumped in just for the screen test. And, um, it was amazing. And Jim and Barbara, uh, Jim, Jim Brown and Barbara Esteson, who created the city they'd went to guiding light and so they had requested me to audition for the role and uh yeah it was amazing i remember i remember them telling me my first uh scene was going to be a stripper pole <laughs> all the way down to bikini bottoms and then just a cowboy hat covering my boobs and um and so i immediately went into kickboxing mode <laughs> working out like crazy and uh and then I had a month before I had to start and it was, um, it was amazing. It was, uh, definitely a life change, another life changing experience for sure. Well, obviously you knew Kim Zimmer by reputation, uh, but you come in, you start actually working with her, you know, tell us what that was like, what your relationship with her was like off camera, what you learned from her. Well, I mean, I didn't know anyone on Guiding Light when I started there, except for the writers. So that was really, um, crazy for me. And, uh, I think I cried every day in my dressing room for like the first three months <laughs> because it was, um, hard and, uh, a different vibe. And I, you know, Kim was amazing. Robert was amazing. And, um, Jordan Clark, oh, he was just incredible. I, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a, an experience that changed everything for acting with me and for me. And, um, and Kim was incredible. I mean, I learned every day from them. I learned, I learned not just acting, but I learned how you act on a set. I learned how you respect your fellow actors and not that we didn't do it on loving. We didn't have to, you know, it wasn't as much material. It was easier. Uh, we could, we ran it all day long cause we had all day long and on guiding light, it, it you know, a, an hour show is way more than a half hour show. It, it's so much more dialogue. Um, the, the, they cared about every performance being the top of the game. You know, it was, and everyone showed up knowing their dialogue and emotionally prepared to kill it in every scene. And you, it, the bar was so high that, um, and I was raised by a father that second place was first loser. So <laughs> I was going to hit that bar or die trying. And, um, and it was, it was the most incredible experience uh, working on, guiding light and every storyline that they gave me or, and I, and, and the directors made me show up in a way when I would want to argue something or didn't like it, they were like, made me tell them why. And, and it was all ego and it was all fear. 
of not knowing how to do it. And then they taught me how to do it. And I feel like I learned how to be an actor on Guiding Light and learned how to be quiet and listen and learned how to respect another actor, learned how to take what's on the page and make absolutely anything work. And it was crazy. I loved every second of it. I never cried harder than when I left Guiding Light to go to General Hospital. It was, um, it was a really big, th those eight years were life-changing for me. Well, you did come in with now years of soap experience under your belt. Did you feel you had to prove yourself because it was a new show or did you feel comfortable on set sort of right when you got there? Oddly enough, I did not. I felt that way on Guiding Light. I felt going to General Hospital, look out, here I come. I had so much, not arrogance, but excitement and confidence. I felt like... Um, I couldn't wait to play Carly. Like all the characters I had before, I, I were there because um, I was going to play Carly, and um, and and that I got to now. I mean, at the first when I when I when I came on, I was so I did want to honor all the um, fans on what they loved about Carly, and I was like trying to figure her out and give the writers what they wanted because they were excited to have someone new come in. Um, that they could, you know, um, write some <laughs> very intense over the top Carly stuff. Um, and I, so I wanted to give the writers what they wanted, but I wanted to give the fans what they wanted. And I watched Sarah Brown. I watched a little bit of Tamara. Um, and I didn't watch much of Jenny because I had, by the time I had been offered the part and was coming on, I think she wasn't on, but, um, I really wanted to honor, you know, um, what those actors brought to the character because the fans love that. And you can't come on doing something totally different because then no one recognizes it. And, um, and I absolutely loved the dynamic between Sonny, Carly, and Jason. I thought it was so unhealthy and destructive and a perfect soap dynamic, you know, because it creates problems for every other relationship that they have. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of this unhealthy relate, the three of them are always there for each other, which makes it a problem for everybody else in their lives. Um, so it's a perfect soap, you know, complication um, built in. Oh. And, um, and, and the three of them live and die by it, which is, it's, it, it's, they even know that it's messed up, but they're like, that's the way it is. And so it's, I just find, I found that fascinating. And I loved the undying commitment to the threesome, um, I thought was something I don't know why I could relate to. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to me because it's not uncommon to um, play a role on daytime that someone else has played. Mm -hmm. That happens all the time. It hadn't happened to you yet. But it's so interesting to me that you had been like a big Sarah Brown fan. You'd watched her. Oh, yeah. Well, she, and when she was pregnant with her daughter, we were at a, um, an Emmy's in the bathroom and talking and laughing. And she pulled me out and took me to Wendy Rich. And she said, if I ever leave the role of Carly, she should replace me. Wow. And that was like when I was on Loving, you know, I was like crazy. And then all the years later, and then when she came on to play Claudia, we had so much fun. I loved working with Sarah and, and she was beyond respectful. Like when they first told me that she was coming on, I was like a little taken back and afraid because I'm like, Oh, am I not doing any, you know, I, I, it, it was a bit, you know, uh, unsettling. And then they were like, no, 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 no. But then you, you know, you never know, you never trust a hundred percent. The no, no, no's is yes, yes, yes. Right? <laughs> um, and then I remember in our first scene together, um, it wasn't scripted, but Sarah called me Carly in the scene. And I know that it was like, that was just such a beautiful moment. I almost cried. I was like, oh. And, uh, and then we got to work together so much, which was just amazing. And as Sarah's another one. Sarah does not want an okay scene. She wants an incredible scene. And she wants to, to work on it until we get there. And I, I so appreciate that, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, now having played two roles before it, you say you were prepared for GH, you know, so what was it now, the transition like for you into Port Charles? Everyone was wonderful, I have to say. Uh, um, everyone was so kind and nice. Um, you know, Steve and Maurice both were like, well, here she is, and <laughs> we're stuck with her. We gotta, let's make it work. Um, 
and, and the women were all great. Like, you know, there was so much publicity when I came on and then so much of Carly and everyone's face. Cause they wanted me to make a mark immediately. And I'm like, Oh my God, every woman's that I'm yelling at, they don't know me. Everyone's going to hate me. <laughs> and they really didn't. Um, and because I had worked on guiding light where I learned there, um, it's on, it's in the script and I'm going to do what I need to do to serve the script, but I'm not going to disrespect my act fellow actors. But if Carly's got to go, like when I had to smack Kimberly McCullough in a scene once, I was like, I cannot apologize now because I, I cannot believe that I'm doing this, but I'm going to have to go for it. She's like, you have to, I'm like, okay, thank you. You know, but, um, yeah, usually when I, I have to be a jerk, I'm always like, I just, can I just say, I'm sorry now it's not me. It's Carly. And, and I'm going to be obnoxious and uh, like Cynthia and I have some stuff coming up that's pretty intense. And, uh, and I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> She's like, don't apologize. So, but uh, it was wonderful. And it was hard moving to California because I was an East coast girl and uh, dealing with the family issues of that, you know, moving your kids out and then working a schedule. I mean, playing Carly was not a three day a week role with a B storyline. It was a storyline and a and everyone storyline <laughs> and with dialogue that I've never had before. And um and so it was that was that was a lot. And um it it's not that it's changed. It's still very much uh but our scheduling, you know, these breaks are nice, I have to say. At first they were odd, but the breaks we have are nice because you know, I do I work a lot and um and uh, it takes its toll. Um after, you know, a long time, but it was, it was definitely a transition of work, um, emotion, wanting, you know, to kick ass. You don't want to be handed the, the role of Carly and, you know, fumble on the play. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the first part of your, uh, the, the Carly era of your career, she and Sonny were not together romantically. Yeah, um, I was with Ingo. That's right. So Carly and Jax were quite the hit. Uh, tell us about Ingo Rademacher as a leading man. Oh, I loved, loved, loved working with Ingo. Um, that was one of my favorite stories. We considered ourselves the Rachel and Ross of daytime. We tried to bring in any kind of sexy, fun humor in everything we did. And Carly could be a brat and stomp her feet. And Jax would tell her, it's okay. He's going to love her anyway. You know, he's the white knight. He was the good guy. And I loved it. I loved the romantic stuff that we pulled off. And so much stuff that we did was between Ingo and I, you know, like if we would have a scene that it was supposed to be cold and winter out and he would come in, he would want to do the scene where he's trying to put his hands up my shirt. And I'm like, get your hands off. And we're saying our dialogue as I'm trying to push him away. And we would, he would start talking and I would start unbuttoning his shirt and he would button it back up. And we added those things because we wanted to bring a personality to the couple, not just stand there and say lines, you know, how can we make them fun and romantic and charming? And, and um, how can we make, you know, Carly is a brat when she doesn't get her way. And, um, and Jax has no problem telling it, her that, but he does it in a way that for some reason it calms her instead of, you know, fires her up. So it was like almost six years that we worked together. And it was, um, and you know, Ingo and I would bicker on set. Sometimes I'd just walk away when he was trying to tell me what to do. <laughs> and I would be like, I'm not talking to you and vice versa. Or one time we did a love scene and he went to roll me over. Uh, he was supposed to roll me over in this love scene. And I didn't think he was going to roll me over in time. So I rolled over early and I hit him in the, with my head in his lip and I, he, I busted his lip and there was blood everywhere. He was so mad at me. <laughs> he was like, you have trust issues. And I go, I do. I'm really sorry. I do. I didn't believe you. I thought you were going to mess it up. <laughs> you know, we had so much, but that was like, people would just laugh at us. They're like, you guys are like an old married couple. I'm like, we are. We bickered. We laughed. Um, but at the end of the day, no one was ever mad at each other. We never, like, it was always for the good of, and you know, even the stuff we're doing now and Ingo and I have some great stuff coming up as well. And uh, even when I'm just going off and I'm like, Ingo, I got to change this or I've got to come at you. He's like, come on. And he loves it afterwards. He high fives me. He hugs me. He is the most supportive actor um, that I have gotten to work with in 16 years. I love working with Ingo. Mm -hmm. um, now, before Carly and Sonny got back together in 2014, you and Roger Howarth, 
Uh, worked together. He was your leading man twice over. First as Todd, then as Franco. And he had actually been your loving co-star briefly back in 92 as well. Totally. Yes. So tell us about Roger as a leading man. Oh, I loved Carly and Todd. That was one of my favorite pairings too, because it's so made sense at the time, right? Like, of course, those two people would find each other. <laughs> those two messed up souls, codependent. <laughs> oh, I loved it. Loved every second of it. Um, I was actually going through my own separation privately when Roger and I were starting to be paired together. And no one made me laugh more when I needed to. I mean, I would fall down. We would be in a scene. And Roger would have a one-liner and I would just crumble to the ground laughing. I, and I would say to him all the time, I thank you so much for making me laugh because I need to laugh right now. He was so funny. I he was funny on Loving. We, did we didn't work ro romantically there, but had this dry sense of humor that was always hilarious. He, he, I'm always drawn to that personality because it's very opposite of mine and I love to laugh. And so those people just always say things that are funny. When, when we do events and we do fan, fan events and Roger goes, I always like to sit next to him because he always has things he says that I'm like, you know, Roger, we got to take the mic from you. You're really going to get in trouble. And <laughs> he's so funny. And he'll be like, this is why I shouldn't do these. <laughs> uh, he, he and Michael Easton, they're both very funny on set, on stage. Um, and uh, the Franco, I loved the Franco storyline because I'm the actor that if you think a story can't be told, give it to me. Because I'm going to try until... <laughs> You know, I, I just think that it's the stories we're afraid of are the ones that we should be telling because it's not the end result. It's the storytelling that is amazing. Um, you know, when they put Carl and Cassie with Edmund on Guiding Light after, you know, all the craziness with Cassie and Richard, um, I loved it. I loved telling the stories that can't be told. I, I don't know. I think they're I think the pain of why they can't be told is the beautiful story. And we can't shy away from that because that's gold. So, uh, Laura, do you have plans to start like an acting school sometime? <laughs> I feel like that's very good advice. I love working with actors. I mean, on set, I do the younger, the younger kids on the show. Sometimes, you know, they'll come to me and say, I have a big scene coming up. Can you help me? And, and I'm like, yeah, because sometimes, because, you know, we, uh, sometimes we need someone that just, pulls it back a little for us. And, and even I can see all the reasons why I, I had a scene with Steve Burton a few, uh, like a month ago. And I was like, ah, oh, I don't know about this. And he goes, you have to say it. And he goes, and I would take a long beat before you say this line. And I was kind of like, huh. And then when we got to the moment, it opened up the whole scene for me. And I was like, you were so right. Like, you know, those things that make us uncomfortable are the places we should dive into because what the hell are we doing here? You know, if it's not to make somebody feel something, even the people that are like, I hate the story. It's like, it's because you're feeling something. Unfortunately, you have a button that can FF it now. We didn't have that back in the day. Right. We were forced to take these journeys that, you know, you would probably never have Luke and Laura now mm -hmm. if, we, oh. if there was an FF button. But right. I mean, please, I mean, look how they got together. Look how it all happened. But then you, he fell so in love with Laura, he would die for her. And we were all on that sofa screaming and yelling when they got married and crying, you know? Yep. Um, I was. <laughs> or the dentist chair, as the case may be. Yes. That was tough. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, my God, your poor dentist. <laughs> yeah, I, I, made it, like, I made a deal. I said I have to stay for the whole hour. They had many TV, uh, TVs in the tree. That is school. way before it's time, by the way. Your dentist I know. Is it was my orthodontist on, like, he had it going on. He was on Fifth Avenue. He knew what was what. Oh, for sure. <laughs> That's unheard of. That's like when I had my, my phone in my car that was built into the car in the 80s. Yeah, for sure. They barely worked, but, you know, you had to have it. Um, but, yeah, so I just think that um, I, I think that's the beauty of daytime is we get to tell those stories that you say we can't tell. I mean, Rick Lansing, is that his name? Lan Lansing was, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing his last name right, was going to cut the baby out of Carly, right? And give it to Elizabeth. I mean, that was Tamara's Carly, but, but still, and he lasted and stayed on for a good long time. I mean, that's a tribute to Rick Hurst's um, acting and how amazing he is. But um, still, you know, I mean, this is what we do on daytime. We get to tell these stories because we have five days a week to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm going to ask you the next question, but before I do, I really want to say how often I hear, because I covered General Hospital for the magazine, how often I do hear from people who 
um, who talk about how much it has meant to them to have your help and conversations with you about their work before big scenes. So shout out to Laura Wright, amateur actor. Oh. Um, well, I love helping people because I think we all get caught in the place of I would never, you know, we all feel it. I go through a script and there, <laughs> if I went with my first instinct, because that's just, that's, that's Laura's fears. It's not Carly's, you know, um, stuff. And so once I get through that and I'm like, well, there's a million ways to tell this story. You know, there's only one way not to, and that's to say I can't. <laughs> right. There you go. Okay. So in uh, 2015, Carly and Sunny remarried and i'm not saying that it has been smooth sailing but for the last like third ish of your time on general hospital maurice bernard has been your leading man so uh tell us about uh working with maurice uh your relationship off camera you know we're we're, we're super tight and there's a hell of a lot of respect there and especially when we're on set you know um as you know, there's a lot of emotion coming out of stuff that's probably going to be airing very soon. <laughs> and when you know walking into that type of intense work that you have each other's back and you understand each other and you even allow the other person to maybe have um, moments that maybe aren't going to be the final choice on how you play a scene, but you got to work through it. That's amazing. And that's a gift. And to not be judged or to be told what to do or someone to be offended by it. And that's for, on both sides. There are days that, you know, I mean, rarely do I have certain days. And when I do, Maurice is like, are you okay? You all right? Like, it's like, you can't, I can't have you having a bad day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I need you. Like, he's so funny. Um, but, uh, or a struggling day with material or whatever, whatever. I could have been having something going on at home and, you know, it follows me to work or something, you know that can, that happens. And, and he's there a hundred percent there. And, and the same with Steve, like it, it there's there, that, that threesome that, of Carly, Sonny and Jason, that family, it's also there off camera. Of course, it's not, you know, live or die but <laughs> like them, but, um, when we're on set, it is, there isn't even a hesitation or, um, a concern that the three of us will not be there for each other when we're on set. And that is huge because you, you really can't have the dynamic that the three of us have together unless there's that kind of trust and respect. Mm -hmm. Well, I just talked to Maurice uh, the other day and he told me that your, I think, highly anticipated appearance on State of Mind is coming out this Sunday. What was it like to uh, like sit down with him in that way? And I'm assuming touch on some topics that like you don't talk about every day at work. Well, we talked about my divorce and we talked about my parents' my death, which I was there for both of them. And um, my hope was to show people, um, you know, I don't, I don't struggle with depression. I have been depressed, but it's not an issue. So I don't struggle with it. I've had moments in my life that have been sad that I had to kind of be depressed for a while to kind of mourn the losses or the struggles in life or like a, a divorce or a kid moving, going to college, like all those transitional um, moments in life. And, um, but there is beauty on the other side. There is growth. There is um, a choice to climb the ladder out of these places. And, and then there's beauty on the other side. There, there isn't just one way to live. And, uh, and that's what I shared. I even shared, you know, how very, um, traumatic it was when my marriage ended for me because I had to, like I said to him in the interview as well, I had to die. A part of me and who I was had to die. So then I could become this new version of a, a, a new person who, uh, you know, and you have to mourn the loss of a, a, like the marriage itself ending is, is a type of death. And you have to mourn the loss of the um, idea of what you thought the rest of your life was going to look like. And, and that's okay. You know, it's okay that the length of a marriage doesn't mean it's success, you know, and I had to um, really find that there's so much gratitude and beauty in the 17 years I was married, I was married and then not focus on the fact that it ended. Um, and then the tools on how I did that, because a lot of people find, I think when their kids get older and they look at each other and they're not going to be together anymore, that some people can't really get past that. And you know, there's, and I understand that I was a time when I thought I wasn't. And then 
when I did, it was, it was amazing. And it allowed me to love, um, you know, my ex as if he's still my family. And it allowed me, oh, you're, our family dynamic just shifted, you know? And so we talked a lot about that. And, um, and then when my parents, you know, my mom passing was, um, crazy and, um, heavy experience. And, and so was my dad's, but yet I was so unbelievably honored. And those are, I haven't really talked about those in depth before. So, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I was also coming off a crazy detox. <laughs> so who knows how, like, I was like, wow, I remember, I can't remember what I talked about, like in depth, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty open. It's something that I've considered writing about or even doing talks about with people because I get a lot of women that email me or send me messages on Instagram and stuff. How did you get through your divorce? How'd you get past it? I'm so stuck. I mean, it is something that I, I my heart breaks because I understand how that feels. Uh, and, and I just tell people they have to feel it. You know, we're, the only way out is through and the only way through is in. We've got it. We got to welcome that pain and misery in and hang out with it and then honor it and let it go. But nobody wants, I mean, look, I was the queen. I ran from that pain. I, I always say the analogy is um, Indiana Jones and, the, and, and there's Laurel Stark when he's running from that big ball behind him. And that was the reality. Reality was that your marriage was over and you had to deal. <laughs> and I'm running. Nope. Don't want to feel it. Don't want to feel it. And then it, you know, I got hit by it. And, and then I stood up and was like, oh my God. So who do I want to be? Who am I? You know? And it was, um, and, and, and I get so many people talking to me about that or asking me about that. And so it's something that I would love to, uh, you know, one day talk to people about or hopes I could give them some kind of resource um, on that ladder of, you know, be a peg on that ladder that they of climbing out of the depths of what they think is despair when it's a moment in time, you know. Yeah, well, I do feel you're really great about sharing your personal life and finding a happy balance between that. And, um, uh, you know, I think that it is probably an inspiration to people to see how you've bounced back from what are very low moments in your life. Mm -hmm. um, now, in 2017, your life took a very happy turn when you fell in love with your former Guiding Light co-star and current GH co-star, Wes Ramsey, who plays Peter. <laughs> Now you've been yes. together for four years and you also share one of the world's cutest pups in Kimba. Um, <laughs> so tell us how your life is different because of Wes Ramsey's presence in it. Oh, you know, I laugh every single day, all day long. And I've never been more myself or been able to get to know myself with someone. He's the most accepting, kind, real person I've, I've ever really shared time. I mean, sharing time with him is just hanging out with my best friend and, and belly laughing all the time. And, uh, and even, and, you know, and I learned from this man when there are times when I can get bitchy or I get annoyed at something I hear, whether it be politically or like a brother or a sister, his words of wisdom are mind blowing to me. Um, when he'll, you know, show me how to look at a perspective from someone else's side. It brings me to tears sometimes and, and it hum beyond humbling. And he makes me a better person, a hundred percent. And he teaches me to accept myself, which is really difficult for me. And I'm sure many people, you know, it seems to be a thing when I talk to people, nobody, <laughs> that self-love um, um, thing isn't easy, especially I think for women of a certain generation in time. And, um, I think, and, and he is just so, um, present and nothing's that big of a deal. And he doesn't judge people. He doesn't talk about people. He unconditionally loves people. And I just think that's amazing. You know, it teaches me like, wow. Uh, and everything's, everything's fun. Everything's an adventure. Nothing's a big deal. There's not, you know, if, if and there's no reason to get upset really about anything. We're really, you know, life's so great and beautiful and wonderful. And I don't know. And he accepts my family, my kids, my ex-husband, my extended families. Like he's just all in to love everybody. And, and that's just, um, not much. I wasn't used to that, um, growing up. And then, you know, my, my past relationship was amazing, but it was, we are a reflection, right. Of who we are. And I was so caught up in judgment and, and control and um, un, I wasn't uh, sure of myself. And so then I put a lot on my, it wasn't really living or, or being and the experience I had. Um, 
in my past relationships. So with this one, it's really, there's just a lot of acceptance and uh, good times. And I keep going back to laughter because I mean, like all day long, every day, like something little is said and I'm like, I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> I like that you're making up for, for lost time with the laughing. I think that's- Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, life is too short. And I, and I guess what also, you know, watching your parents take their last breath is a really big deal. Not that it's like, oh, so earth shatteringly painful. Um, it's more like, wow, when it's gone, it's gone. And then you realize they, you know, they die with nothing, right? Like you can't take anything with you. And when they're gone, they're gone. So you really, it really gave me a perspective of like, why do we put, we're, we stress about things that are not going to matter. And, and um, that was a really big um, deal for me and a big, uh, it really changed a lot for me when I um, went through that because to see someone die and then to them not be there anymore. And then you have like your things of regret, wishes that you did things different, of course, and you can't change them all, but boy, does it teach you how to live moving forward, how to love moving forward and how to give. Like, what's the point of us being here hoarding our um, stuff and judging and being angry and then who, and just think, you know, I kind of believe in past and forward lives and just think how you end one thing is how you begin another. Like I, I heard someone tell me that like how you end one relationship is how you'll start the next. So really, really honor, um, you know, where you're leaving because you're going to carry that energy into where you're going. And I thought, God, what if that's true energetically with our lives, you know? And um, so I don't know. It's really taught me to love people where they are and not judge people. Um, and that nothing's that big of a deal. What is it? Don't sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff. I, I think, you know, that's, look, I'm 51 in three, three days. So I guess that's what I've learned in my 51 years. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, to pivot a little bit, we have to get into what is going on with Carly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so at, as we're talking, she's poised to marry Jason, unaware that Sonny is alive. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's nothing new for you to be working very closely with Steve Burton, who plays Jason. He's long been Carly's bestie. But what has it been like to work with him on what is like a new dynamic for the two of you to explore as these, you know, romantic feelings from yesteryear are resurfacing between them. You know, I, I see what some fans say and stuff and they're like, Oh, this is so awkward. Of course it is. Like it's, it, it's just, I mean, for me, it's, it, you know, as Laura, it's fine. And it's been amazing, you know, playing this dynamic with Steve. Um, but of course it's awkward and weird for Carly and Jason, uh, uh, you know, um, they're not getting into this, situation because it's something they want. It's something they feel like they have to do. And I also know it's hard for the fans too, because they see that Sonny's alive. Like if they, if, Son, if Maurice really left the show and this all happened, you know, it's hard when you watch going, but he's right here and he's going to come back. Don't do this, you know, but they're moving forward to protect their um, families and each other. But there is this terrifying, which, you know, Carly says, I think today, um, on the air show, um, that she says, you know, I'm terrified that I'm going to fall in love with you again. And then it's not going to be, the feelings aren't going to be returned. Then I'm going to be pissed and I'd be bitter and I'd be angry. And I don't want that between us. You know, it was a really well-written, great <laughs> Carly speech. Um, and I think that's, there's a lot of truth to that. Like, you know, if we have to get married and stay friends, and say best friends because it's, it protects the family. Great. But the second the emotions and the feelings start, and then then a relationship is going to destroy our relationship. And I can't, she says that I can't live without you being my friend. I can't. And so, um, and they work through all that. And um, they're amazing scenes that were so well-written that Carly and Jason make the decision to make this marriage real. I think it is awkward and I think it is strange. And I think they are terrified because they, they don't know what to expect. But if you can't love your best friend at this point in your life, who can you? And um, so, yeah, it's, uh, they're moving forward because they have no idea what's coming. Well, what could be coming is that 
Johnny could interrupt the wedding or something like that, but Carly's yeah. not that he's alive. So without telling us whether or not you've worked with Maurice recently, um, <laughs> what excites you about the prospect of doing so and exploring what the Carly-Sunny dynamic would be now in light of the year they've spent apart? Well, I mean, I, I, I live for these, these, these moments, you know, I think as actors, we live for the moments of, um, complete mind blowing <laughs> devastation and excitement. And I would think that, um, I, I would think that why I think there's no reason to tell this story or to have told this story. If you're not going to have the complication or the, um, uncomfortableness of what they both did for the year they were apart. And what's the point of telling Sonny being gone and, 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 and if, if they come back and everything's perfect, it, there has to be bumps in the road. There has to be moments where, you know, were you with anyone? Did you have any thought of me, you know, or him? Like, I want de details. There has to be insecure moments of what happened. And are they different? Not just relationship-wide if they were intimate with someone else, but Carly now knows the business, you know? So when Sonny's like, I got it. She's like, no, I got it. Like, you know, that could be an issue down the road. It's just, and it's just built in hurdles and, and, um, drama that, that we can tell story that, that gives us something to do besides stare at each other and smile and say, I love you, <laughs> you know, because that's only great for so long. Um, and so I, I would hope that that's stuff that happens down the road. Um, I don't know, but I think that it'd be a waste of storytelling if they didn't, mm -hmm. um, do that because, you know, um, with the two personalities you have in Sunny and Carly too, I mean, they're not these calm, understanding people, you know, they, they, they react and they're passionate and what, what they consider to be theirs, they consider to be theirs. Um, and, and, and even though they might get it, families first and don't F with the family. And, and, and if you don't have those lines in the sand of character personalities, then we don't have interesting, um, scenes and, you know, you have to have, you know, I'm not saying it's right. It's just what it is. Cause everyone's yeah. going to have a perspective in the storylines that are coming up, right? Like we're telling the story from everyone's point of view, which makes for explosive scenes. It's amazing. We are uh, having this conversation like right on the verge of your 16th anniversary as Carly and the character is still so prominent, so rich in story and so rich in story possibilities as we've just touched upon. What does it mean to you personally to be one of the key players for 16 years on a show that you watched and loved as a fan long before you ever set foot on the set or the loving set or us set at all? It's mind blowing. It, it really is. It's, uh, I think about that all the time. Just this weekend, being out here in nature, you know, and, and um, I, I thought about that today where I'm just like, wow, it, I, how much longer is this going to last? <laughs> I, was, I mean, like, I thought I was over, I, you know, when I was like in my 20s, I thought you got till you're 40, right? If you're lucky. <laughs> I don't know why I had that. And um, here I am coming on another big birthday and 16 years. It doesn't seem like it's slowing down. If anything, I keep getting more. Um, and, uh, and I'm honored. I love it. I so love it. And I love being, I love being the grandmother to a, on a show. I love having, you know, e scenes with Eden and Chad and I love it. I love the, when I have scenes with Bobby, um, I, I really do. Um, I have so much gratitude. I, I don't take it for granted. Uh, I hate to even complain. Like if I come up with a, if something happens in a script and I'm like, Oh, I don't know how to do this, you know, and I want to ask for it to be tweaked a little. I, I feel so much guilt going up to Frank's office. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I, I, you know, I feel so fortunate to, to have this job and to still be handed incredible story. Uh, it's not my job to have it changed and complain. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just super grateful. I, I, it's shocking at times. And, you know, I see people like Wes and Mara West and Cynthia, and these people have been like classically trained. And I'm like, God, and I haven't at all. I've just had on the job training and been amazing, have amazing scene partners um, and learned from so many people that sometimes I, I get a little like stuck in the guilt because I didn't have that. Um, but, uh, you know, you can't really live there because that doesn't, you know, help with anything. But it's, uh, it's a crazy ride. It's, um, I'm really fortunate beyond, beyond lucky. 
Uh, well, before we let you go, is there anything you would like to say to fans of yours for the past 30 years and to the oh my gosh, specifically who are listening? Oh, I just love them all. To the week ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I love them all. I, I pray that nobody fast forwards because I know that everyone has their passions and they struggle. I do too. Are you kidding? Not really with JH because I know it's going to happen, but with other shows, <laughs> like I'm getting ready to start clickbait and I'm sure I'm going to be screaming at the TV and I'm watching, you know, I, I watch TV. I love television. So I have the same issues. Um, I have the trigger finger to want to FF when I'm feeling something. My God, I do. Um, but I, I say take the journey because it's what daytime is about. It's what it's always been about. We, we've all worked super hard on the next two weeks that are unfolding. Our really great work, great storytelling from everyone. And I just really um, hope that everyone, um, I hope they stay focused and they don't miss an episode because it's really, really going to be amazing and beautiful. And you really can't miss an episode because every day ties you to what's happening and you think you know and then you don't know and so um yeah stay tuned <laughs> <laughs> well i will be tuning in for sure and laura I, I almost feel like you should have your own podcast i feel like there's so many more topics we can discuss and we well, right talk to you <laughs> um, we're so happy we finally got to and thank you so much for giving us your time especially on your week off and it was great to catch oh, up i'm honored so, thank you so on. much Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Laura Wright for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.